Well, good morning. Uh, thank you for being here today. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to grab those and go to Philippians chapter 4. That's where we will be today for our scripture reading and for the message here this morning. It's an honor to be here with you all and to open the scripture together. Uh, thank you for your faithfulness to the Lord, to this church, and to his word. Today we're in Philippians chapter 4. We will be discussing or unpacking verses 8 through 13, some of the most famous verses in all of the New Testament. And what we see here is really Paul's final two commands to the church in Philippi, but then we also see something really interesting. So we see his primary two commands in verses 8 and 9, but then we see a practical example of those commands and the results in verses 10 through 13. But today we will begin with the context of verse 6. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 says, Worry about not one thing, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And what's the result? And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is anything excellent, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now, at last, you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked the opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Verse 12. I know how to have peace. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to get along in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. Today, really, my message is going to be getting uh, up close and personal. Because today, I'd like to talk to you about your thought life. I'd like to talk to you about what happens in your mind when no one else is around. I'm going to drop some truth on you right now. What you think on is what you become. What you meditate on, what you think about is what you become. What you concentrate on, the inputs that you put into your mind, into the neurons of your brain, is slowly what you become over time. If you fill your mind with garbage, then your life will probably turn out that way. If you fill your mind with worry, then you will worry about everything. (laughs) If you meditate on murkiness, on sinful thoughts and images and friends and shows then your life will turn out the same. But, if you fill your mind with truth, you will believe and live out the truth. If you fill your mind with what is dignified before God, then you will become dignified and honorable. If you fill your mind with what is right, what is lovely, what is pure, if you associate with those that are of good repute, then you will slowly become more and more Christ-like. 
Allow me to illustrate. I'm sure you were all wondering what this was up here. And no, it's not for me in my uh, insatiable thirst. Okay. So this in the middle represents your mind. Okay. So this represents your mind. And this represents murky and sinful and things that are unlovely, unpure, untrue thoughts that you put into your mind. And this represents truth and righteousness and people of good repute that you put into your mind. Now. If I were to take murky, sinful images and put them into your mind, what is going to happen? It's going to become darker and darker and darker. But if I were to take pure, true, lovely thoughts of good repute and I were then to pour it into your mind, don't worry, I'm not going to spill it. But if it were to continue to pour and pour and pour into your mind as the water began to overflow, what would happen to this vase? Is it vase or vase? Vase? Okay, thank you. Okay. I, I, I'm just going to say vase. Anyways, okay. If I were to pour pure and clean water into this vase, just to annoy some people, uh, <laughs> what would eventually happen to the water in, your, in this jar? It would become pure and clean. That is your mind. That if we continue to pour unclean, unpure thoughts into our mind, our mind slowly becomes filled. But if we put pure, clean, true Right, lovely, good repute thoughts in our mind. Our mind follows suit. That even though we as Christians have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us, even though we have the truth, we know the truth and meditate on the truth, even though we are set free from the chains of sin and death, even though by the blood of Christ do we inherit an eternal life, eternal blessings, do we inherit God's inseparable love, and even though we know that God will forgive us, that our mind, our thoughts, still, as Christians, influence the way we live. So let me ask you the question. What are your thoughts full of? Are they full of murkiness, or are they full of purity and cleanliness? Because what you think on is what you become. What you meditate on is how you live. What you put into your brain, into your mind, is what you will slowly live out in your life. But if we don't want to put uh, unlovely, untrue, unrighteous things into our brain, what do we put there instead? What do we put, what are some clean thoughts and clean, clean things that we should put into our mind? I give you, I'm gonna give you six thoughts that we can put into our mind, and they are the thoughts that Paul gives us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. If you have your Bible, go again to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, and we will see six praiseworthy thoughts. Notice them with me. It says, finally, notice that we're finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is anything excellent, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. If you have a pen, I'm going to encourage you to highlight the word dwell. We're going to talk about it here in just a minute. But before we really dive into the six thoughts that we should put into our brain, I want to talk about a very important word, a very unique word. It's the very first word in verse 8. It says this, it says, finally, brethren. Now when Paul uses the word finally, what is he really doing? He is taking and he's bringing things to a decisive conclusion. 
If you remember this book, when is the only other time that I remember that Paul uses the word finally in the book of Philippians? It is found in Philippians chapter 3 verse 1. What does he say? He says, finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. If you think about it, we can boil down the book of Philippians basically to three main ideas. Idea number one is to rejoice in the Lord. Chapter 3 verse 1. What does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? It means to rejoice because of the Lord. Because of what Jesus has done in chapter 2. Because my sin is paid. Because he came and he humbled himself taking the form of a bondservant. And he died on an object of humiliation called a cross. Because he came out of heaven and he died. We now then find joy in him. Or at least we should. We also find our security, our value, our identity, our joy, not in the midst of circumstances, but rather we should find our joy, our value, our security, our sense of worth. We should find it in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. But then the second idea that really summarizes the book of Philippians is the one found in verse Eight, it is to dwell, and then found in verse 9, to practice. The word dwell here, if you circled it, I encourage you, if you haven't already, if you've already done it, then circle it again. The word dwell here is a Greek word for legizomai. It means to consciously calculate. It's actually an accounting term. I did not do well in accounting in college, and praise the Lord for great accountants out there. It's an accounting term. What Paul is basically saying is to consciously calculate, to consciously meditate on these six things. My first point is to concentrate on praiseworthy thoughts. But I'm going to have another observation. The fact that Paul uses this word dwell means to consciously calculate tells me something very important. That we influence what puts what is put into our mind that we must consciously make a daily decision each and every day to put pure and true thoughts into our mind and not untrue and unpure thoughts into our mind but then notice the six things let's unpack them together notice the first one what are we to dwell on verse 8 finally brother whatever is true what does that mean what does it mean, whatever is true? One scholar says that the first word true here is in this virtue list. And verse 8 calls them to give consideration to whatever confirms the gospel. It, that is true. That is a very true that, that we should meditate on anything that confirms the gospel. But I'm going to take this word true and I'm going to expand it a little bit. That we as Christians should meditate on anything that is true. Why? Truth mirrors the very nature of God. That God has created truth. That truth mirrors or exemplifies God's nature. So, let's ask the question, what is some truth that we should put into our mind? It's in our middle name, right? That this is truth, that this is special revelation. Honestly, that this is the most important truth. Why? Because it gives us the filter or the world view to be able to discern what is true and what not is true out in the world. 
This is the most important truth that you can ever know because it gives you the ability to discern what is pure and what is impure, what is lovely and what is not lovely. But what is some other truth outside of the Scripture that we use the Scripture to filter? Think about some truth that is outside the Scripture that we know to be true. Two plus two equals four. Right? That is a truth that I don't see a math equation in the Bible. That is true. There are some aspects of truth that are found in science, certain ones. <laughs> don't throw stuff at me. Okay. Uh, in science or in chemistry or in physics, we know things to be true that are not necessarily spelled out in the Bible, but the most important truth that we can know is the Scripture because it gives us the ability to filter out what is true and what is not. We are to consciously meditate on what is true, and then thought number two is whatever is honorable. The word honorable here means to be dignified or revered or worthy of respect. So whatever is worthy of respect filtered through the lens of the scripture is worthy of our meditation or worthy of our input. One of the things that Paul doesn't do me any favor as a preacher is he's super vague on what is honorable, what is true, what is right. He doesn't give us specifics. But when I think of whatever is honorable, the filter that I use in order to discern if it's honorable and dignified is this. If my three-year-old, Bryn, crawled up beside me and watched a TV show with me or watched my friends and how they interacted with me, would she feel that they are dignified? Would I be ashamed if she was sitting right next to me? That is the filter that I use for whatever is honorable. We must consciously meditate on, number three, whatever is right. As with truth and what is true and right, it is defined by God's character. We must meditate on whatever is righteous and reflects the rightness of God. Thought number four is whatever is pure. We must be cautious not to fill our mind with things that are maliciously stained by sin. Because that is what will influence us. Thought number five is whatever is lovely. In my opinion, verses, thoughts one through four really discuss God's nature, but here in verse, or the thought number five, whatever is lovely, what I see is that Paul kind of casts the net a little bit wider. Unfortunately, Paul does not really tell me whatever is lovely. It's actually, I believe, a hapax legomena means it's the only time this word is used in the entire New Testament. But I take this word lovely to mean something beyond just indicating God's character. I see this as whatever is lovely in amongst God's creation. This world is sinful and broken but we can still find lovely things in God's creation. I am personally, this is my, I am personally recharged, rejuvenated, refreshed by being out in God's lovely creation. That's why I go on vacation so much. <laughs> like yesterday, my wife and I visited a new trail put out by the land trust. I think it's called Bethel Spring Nature Preserve. Being out in nature, observing God's beautiful creation, refreshes my soul. Things that I think of that are lovely are the waves of a beach, the noise of a waterfall, the chirping of birds outside of our window, the pinpricks of light on a dark night, the setting of the sun 
and its array of color, a rainbow after a storm. Those are all examples of what I understand of what is lovely. And when we choose to meditate on those things, our spirit, at least mine, is refreshed. Input number six is whatever is of good repute. And whereas thoughts one through four discuss God's character, my opinion exemplify that. Thought five is of God's creation. And then really what I see in good repute is those who are good, good repute among God's creatures. I would say people. That we should let people into our minds, into our thoughts, as friends, as relationships, those who are of good repute, those who can influence us in the right way. But I want you to notice two key observations. Number one is that this list is vague. (laughs) Paul doesn't do me as a preacher any favors. He doesn't tell me specifically what is right, what is honorable, whatever is pure, what is lovely. I can kind of discern that, but it is difficult to discern. And number two, observation number two is that this list is somewhat personal. That this list is not entirely objective nor subjective. The reason I say this is because of this. That we as Christians should not use this list as a baseball bat to club people with, okay? This list is somewhat objective, but also somewhat subjective. I would encourage each Christian, through the filter of truth that we know in the Scripture, to discern what is pure, what is right, what is lovely, what is honorable, what is of good repute, that each of us would discern what is praiseworthy, And I think all all of us have a good idea of what that would be if you know the scripture. My first point today is to concentrate on praiseworthy thoughts that are consistent with God's character, lovely amongst God's creation, and of good repute amongst God's creatures. What you become, or what you think on, is what you become. And what you think on is what you practice. That is what Paul says in verse 9. The foundation of Paul's second command, in my opinion, is found in verse 8. But notice in verse 9, what is the command? The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. What is the second command here? It is to practice. This word practice literally means to consciously, repeatedly do them. So the things that they have learned, received, heard, and seen in me, those things that Paul has demonstrated with his life and with his pen and with his word, that those things they should repeatedly do throughout the days of their life. But I find it really, the most interesting word to me is not even the word practice in verse 9, but I find there are two words that are most interesting. Notice it. It says the things that you have learned and received and heard and Seen, say those next two words with me. In me. Wait a second. Let's say those words. In me. What is Paul really saying? It's amazing. Paul doesn't say just look to Christ and his example, which we should, but he's saying look at my life. Look at how I live. Look at what I've taught you, what you've received, what you've heard, what you've seen me do, and practice those things. Now, that takes guts. Can I just get an amen to that one? Amen. Thank you. Uh, you're, okay. That takes guts. 
It's amazing to me that Paul, and think about the book of Philippians, he has admitted his mistakes. He's admitted that at one time he valued religion over relationship. That's in chapter 3. That he was the Jew of Jews. That despite his mistakes, that Paul is pressing forward and that they should follow him, that they should exemplify his life and his example. Are we living a life worth imitating? I'll just leave that one right there. But what is the result if we practice these four things? What does it say? And the God of peace will be with you. I imagine some of us here today are starving for that. Some of us are starving for peace and contentment. But how does, how does Paul know that if they practice these four things that the God of peace will be with them? How does he know that? It's because he has personally experienced it, right? Paul, Paul, Paul is basically saying that if you, church in Philippi, if you in this audience today, that if you want peace, then follow his example because he himself has peace. If they will just practice the truth, then they will have peace like Paul has peace. My first point today is to concentrate on praiseworthy things. And then my second point is to practice the truth. And the result of that is that God's peace will find them. But the best part of this passage is still to come. Because what we see in verses 10 through 13 is we see a practical example of the truth that is spelled out in verses 8 and 9. That if they will dwell and they will practice, if Paul will dwell and Paul will practice the truth, then he will have what happens in verses 10 through 13. Notice the three results that Paul has because he practices and he dwells on the right things. Verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. That now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Verse 11. What is he expressing in verses 11 and 12? Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Back up with me to verse 6. That when we choose to let go of worry, when we choose to concentrate on praiseworthy things, when we choose to practice the truth, what is the result? The result, number one, is joy. It says in verse 10, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now, at last, you have revived your concern for me. If we are obedient to the commands that Paul has shared, that number one, we have joy, but then number two, what else do we have? We have peace. That's what the promise is in verse 6 and also in verse 8. The result of both of those is peace. Peace in all circumstances. And that's what Paul exactly communicates in verses 11 and 12. What is he saying? Not that I speak from want, but I have peace. I have learned to be peaceful or content in whatever circumstances I am. Paul has peace in prosperity, peace in difficulty. He has peace in going hungry, in wealth, in prosperity. He has peace in all circumstances. And then Paul then gives us the third result. If we will let go of worry, if we will fill our mind with praiseworthy things, and if we will practice the truth, 
The final result is in verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What is he expressing there? He is expressing confidence. Now, uh, if this is your favorite life verse, then I apologize for what I'm about to say to you. Okay. This is this verse is not uh, like a magic genie lamp, okay? I you know I think some Christians feel like if they know this verse and they say it enough times that they can fly around a room like Superman. You know I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whoa, okay. I had there was an NBA basketball player who had Philippians four thirteen put on his shoe. Okay, I assume it, he thought it made him shoot better. Okay, I've heard of NFL quarterbacks that quote this verse before a game just. Because they think it gives them power or something, okay? Like I said, this is not a genie in a lamp. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Therefore, I'm going to jump off this bridge and fly, okay? It doesn't work that way. What I believe, verse 13, is basically saying is that Paul is expressing confidence that in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of abundance, in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of joy, in the midst of happiness, in the midst of sadness, no matter the circumstances that Paul faces, that if he is willing to dedicate himself to letting go of worry, to dwelling on praiseworthy thoughts, and to practice these things, then he knows for sure he has confidence that he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. He can endure all circumstances. Friends, will we let go of worry? Will we concentrate on praiseworthy thoughts and will we practice the truth? Because then and only then will you experience joy, will you experience peace, and will you experience confidence? For my application today, first I really just want you to take a time out and just look at yourself and look at your mind. What are some murky, sinful, unpure, untrue doubts that you put into your mind? What are some murky thoughts that you put into your brain? What are some inputs or friends that you are dragging you down? Can you, let's talk about life real quick. There's so many times... We get so used to putting terrible, impure things that we get numb to it. Can I get an amen to that one? We don't, we sometimes don't even realize that what we think on all day long is actually impure. It's not good for us. It's actually filling our mind up with garbage. So many times we get so used to evil thoughts, sinful thoughts, discouraging thoughts, doubts, untrue things, that we just almost to the point where we would almost defend them. What are some things that you're putting into your mind that you need to get rid of? You know, I asked myself this question this week as well. And I thought of plenty of things that I could take out of my mind and replace it with truth. Question number two is, which of the six thoughts should you replace it with? And then question number three is really a question of what are, what are you practicing? What am I practicing? 
Am I practicing what I have learned in the book of Philippians, what I have received, what I have heard, what I have seen in Paul and in this book? Am I putting them into practice? For what time we have left, I'm going to go through a list of things that we have learned, that we have received, that we have heard, and that we have seen in Paul and in this book. We have learned in chapter 1 what? We learn to remember that God wastes nothing. We have learned to rejoice in the proclamation of the gospel despite one's ulterior motives. We have received to be united in love, in spirit, in truth, and in purpose. We have received to set our minds to become like Christ. We have received that we should do all things without disputing or grumbling. We have received that we should have four relationships in our lives. We should have a Paul, we should have a Timothy, we should have an Epaphroditus, and we should have a church in Philippi, a group that we serve and minister to. Chapter 3, we have heard that we should trade religiosity for relationship. We have learned that we should trade religiosity with, for a relationship with God. What does he say? More than that, I count all things to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. We have heard that we should prioritize Christ above all. We have heard that we should pursue Christ above all. We have heard to be an example to all. Chapter 4, we have seen to stand firm for the Lord and in the Lord. We have seen that we should live in harmony with other believers. Yuadia and Sutukane, that they are to set their minds not on the offense, but on Christ Jesus in becoming more and more like Him. We have seen that we should rejoice in the Lord because of what He has done. Can I get a name into that one? That we should not attempt to find joy in our circumstances and what happens to us in our lives, but that our source of unending unquenchable joy is found in Christ and in Christ alone. We have seen that we should let go of worry. We have seen that we should dwell or consciously calculate on pure and redeemed things. That we should also practice the truth. A person who lets go of worry, who prioritizes purity of their mind, who purposely practices the truth, will find a life of joy, a life that is not weighed down by circumstances, but a life of joy that is founded upon Christ and is able to find joy in people, in His Savior, and in their circumstances. A person who lets go of worry, who prioritizes purity of their mind, who purposefully practices the truth, will find Peace, but not just peace, a divine peace, a peace of God that is incomprehensible, that surpasses all understanding. 
and that is impenetrable, that will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord, that if you will just, if we will just practice the truth, that we will find God's peace will be, He will set up a garrison, a fortress around our hearts and our minds to protect us from things that will cause us to worry. A person who lets go of worry, who prioritizes purity of their mind, who practices the truth, will find a life of confidence that will say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Friends, let us let go of worry through prayer. Let us concentrate on praiseworthy things and let us practice the truth because we will find then and only then we will find joy, we will find peace, and we will find confidence. If you do not know Jesus Christ very quickly, if you have never believed in Jesus Christ, if you're skeptical about this Jesus thing, that Jesus came and he died on a cross to pay for your sin because you can't pay it. You're not perfect. And that if you believe in him, that you will be saved. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says this. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Bow with me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the book of Philippians. We thank you for what we have seen and heard and received and heard through Paul and through your Holy Spirit and through this time in your word. Lord, I pray for those that do not know you as Savior, that they would be gripped with the thought that they are sinners, that they are lost. And Lord, that you would break through to them and that you would reveal your Son and that they would believe in you. Lord, I pray that we as Christians, that we would continually let go of worry, purify our minds, practice the truth, and Lord, that we would find on the other side a life that is of joy and peace and confidence. Lord, I thank you for the privilege and honor it is to be here and to open your word together. Lord, I thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.